Amen, amen, amen. Church, good morning. It is good to see you, hear you, sing with you, worship with you, declare truth with you. We started, as Seth mentioned, this series last week, FOMO, uh, Fear of Missing Out. And uh, I came across some stuff a couple weeks ago in my garage, um, some old yearbooks. Uh, so I took a pic. I thought, should I, should I not? Um, but I wanted you to see uh, that dude in the top left, second over, that's me, um, back in the day. And, and I'm going to come back to that in a second because I don't know what they did in your high school, um, people from the 90s. But we always had, you know, had to have, have a quote or uh, something. So I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I wanted to show you that because look at that, at that young buck right there. Um, I really, if I could spend some time with him, if I could go back in time, um, it, it would be a lot of things, right? It would be the gospel. It would be, it'd be a lot of things. A lot of what I would want to get in a room with him would be this series. If I could help uh, 17, 18-year-old me understand this series, uh, man, it would change so much. And just, just in a week, right, seven days in this series, we've seen it, felt it, heard stories of God moving um, in our church. So I want that to excite you. And uh, you can go off that. We don't want to look at that any longer. Um, with, with starting the series last week, if you weren't with us, uh, it's online. We'd love for you to, to check it out. But let me uh, just help you. Help us all get back on the same page. We were talking about fear of missing out through Adam and Eve and specifically through Eve. So last week we, we saw that God was not a restrictive God and there's an enemy and he's deceptive. And these crazy truths that I've been sitting in and talking about, um, I don't know if I've preached a message that God has continued to convict and move in me after, before, during, and after. But it's this crazy reality that we said last week that there's nobody in the room that isn't capable of being deceived. Nobody is exempt. Nobody graduates. Nobody gets smart enough, wise enough where, hey, I'm, I'm above being deceived. So that's true. Coupled with that, nobody, as they're being deceived, realizes it. Hence, you, it's deception. If you thought you were stepping in the trap, you just wouldn't step in it. So, so nobody is fully aware of deception when it's happening to them. So if those things are true, and they are, man, we need Jesus and we need each other, church. We need to know this, walk through this, understand this, fight together, um, because there's a lot of tricks of our enemy that we talked about, but his, he's got one calling card for all of time. He, he twists, he deceives, he tempts. So last week, we walked through what he did, and, and God was not restrictive. He said, hey, I, I'm going to give you everything. I'm just asking you not to eat of one fruit of the tree in the middle and, and the tempter came along and said, did God really say? And, and we ended last week with her taking a bite. People say it's an apple. It's not an apple, right? We don't, it's not mentioned what it is. I'm just declaring it's not an apple, right? I don't know that. I'm just saying that because it's, we don't know. It's probably a fig or some other fruit. She takes a bite and that changed everything. We sat in that fear of missing out. We asked a question last week at the end of what what in your life are you, are you holding on to that you don't want to give up control over? And I've heard some beautiful conversations between you and God talking about how God's working through that. So we're going to pick right up there with the very next sentence um, after she ate. It said, she also gave some to her husband, this is Genesis 3, who was with her and he ate it. All right, so I grew up in an era, in a, in a culture, ministers that I looked up with. We were always cracking jokes about Eve. 
right? We were always cracking jokes about how the woman blew it for everybody and messed up and, and all this. And um, it, it was, let's say what it is, it was wrong, right? I, I didn't know that at the time, but it was like, man, looking back and say, like, it wasn't once or twice. That was like a, a lot of environments I was in. It was just jokes about, like, man, life would be so good if the woman, if the woman, if the woman. And honestly, I was in my 20s. I'd read the Bible, went to Bible college, all this stuff. I was in my 20s before this really like that verse. Oh, he was there, right? I don't know, and I'm not blaming on everybody else, but in my head, like this was all between Eve and remember Satan is a real enemy, a fallen angel that, that embodied somehow a serpent and had this conversation. In my head, Adam was out, you know, chopping wood, right? And then he came back and like, what did you do, woman? Right, and that's, there's a lot, there's a lot in that, that that's what I believe because it's not what scripture teaches at all, right? So, so we don't tell those jokes. We, we run from that. We call that sin, right? When, when we twist things to make, you know, this division between woman and man that's not there. And the reality is Adam knew exactly what God said, right? The, last week we gave Eve, you know, maybe she, she wasn't around when God first said don't eat. You know, she added some stuff to it. So maybe she only knew from Adam. We don't know. But Adam definitely knew what God had said. He was right there with her. So that only leaves us two options for our boy Adam, right? Either he was kind of sick of his wife, right? He was kind of like, man, this was good at first because I was so lonely, just me and the animals. Then God gave this amazing thing, this amazing woman. And now, like, I'm done, right? So I'm still believing God that if she eats this fruit, she's going to die. And I'm kind of missing when it was just me and the birds, right? So that's one option that he was like, I still believe God. Go ahead and eat it if you want and see what happens. Or more likely, he was deceived just like Eve. He was listening to this conversation and what Eve needed, what he needed to say is, no, 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 that's not what God said. That is not what God said at all. That's what needed to be said. But instead, he sat quietly, listened to the whole conversation, and because he loved his wife, and, and there's no way he thought she was going to die, so he's listening, and he's being equally deceived. And then when she eats and doesn't die, he's like, oh, this serpent was right. God must have been wrong. She's fine. I will now take a bite as well. Sometimes we want to believe this lie. Sometimes I want to believe this lie, that this is an individual sport. It's me and God in a phone booth, and there is privacy and intimacy with Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But we want to say this is an individual sport, right? In, in high school, I was about two sports. I was about basketball, and I was about tennis, right? Tennis is a great sport because it's an individual sport. You don't have to worry if your teammate got enough sleep. You don't have to worry about anybody's on their game. It's nobody. If you win, because you won. If you lost, it's because you lost. It's not even referees. It's in high school tennis, you call it. Now, people cheat, but that's a different story. But it's just on me. Some people think what we're trying to do, and if you don't know Jesus, we're so glad you're here. What we're trying to live out as a community at Relentless Church, because God's a relentless God who doesn't give up on anybody, people believe that's just between me and God. And we're just like, we're in seats, but we're in a room and yeah, I like them, but we're not connected. And that's a lie. Like your temptation, your struggle, your decision, your sin affects me. And my sin affects you. It is interconnected. It's not an individual sport. It is a team sport. 
globally the body of Christ and then his perfect plan to locally have these bodies of Christ that work together, serve together, love together, pray together, worship together, encourage together. And we're all have the same common enemy and we're all have vulnerabilities to deceptions and we need each other. And you're going to have a moment and I'm going to have a moment. And don't be scared of this. This is part of the human existence where something that God said isn't good looks good to you. It's okay. It's so embarrassing, right? We, we, uh, everybody in the room is going to have things, decisions, stuff to do, not to do, say, not to say. There's going to be things that look good and feel good in the moment that God says are not best for you. And it's in those moments where we trust him and we need each other. Well, that wasn't happening in this first story. So here is the result, Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So now everything has changed, and it started with a temptation that the enemy's still using today in your life, in my life, a fear of maybe I'm missing out. Maybe God didn't really say. Maybe he doesn't know what's best. Maybe my feelings should sometimes outweigh the word of God. And the result is now, like we talked about, it's not that they didn't know right and wrong, they did. Now their eyes have been opened to all that sin brings. And there was a purity. Before this moment, there was a purity in Adam and Eve. Right? There's a purity because they, they had had a command from God and had chosen to be obedient to it. So they had never known what it would be, what it has, what it was to have distance, separation in any way. Right, and, and young and old in the room, we know, you know that, that feeling, right? You know that I, I, when, when, when a teenager is asked by a parent, did you complete your homework, right? And I, I, we try to parents a little tip if you're later in the game or coming up with young kids, like we, these kids are, they're, they're sly, right? Did you complete, don't ask them, did you do your homework, right? Because they can tell themselves yes, and that's kind of true because I did do some of my, did you complete your homework, right? Force them to either lie or tell the truth, right? <laughs> did you complete your homework? In that moment, right? That's not a big deal. In the grand scheme of things, we got this awful war going on uh, across, you know, in Russia, Ukraine. We, we got all kinds of things happening in our country and culture and lives. Does God of the universe really care? I'm gonna do my homework. I didn't complete it. Mom's asking me, is it really a big deal to the God of the universe if I say yes, and it's gonna be true when I complete it in a few hours? Right? And the reality is when we disobey, when we sin, lying is a sin, when we do that, there is something that, there's a, there's a wedge, there's something that comes in that makes things different. Right? When my kids lie to me or when I lie to my kids, it's not just, hey, I had a decision, I lied. It's now that there's something there between us that has to be worked through and, and worked out. And up to this moment, there was pure Right? I don't know what you think about that word, pure. Right? We use it in food ingredients a lot. But I mean, I've, I've been a youth pastor for, for a good bit and just been around church. And I think we've lost our love for pure. Right? I think, right? And I, I love, you know, we're church, the untold, unconvinced. We did a series called um, Cream right? Cash rules everything around me. And everybody, like, we, we want to be re relevant. We had people that came to church that wouldn't come to church normally because we, we used a, a Wu-Tang reference. Like, this, like uh, we're, we're, we're about that. But man, I, 
Sometimes I think there's a desire to be on the edge in a way that flirts with things that are not of God. And I, and I think it's almost seen as cool. And in fact, what I believe even in 2022 is if you're a follower of Jesus, not even in your workplace, not even like in church circles, if you really run to purity, you're going to be looked at funny, right? If you embrace the beauty of purity, not the fuddy-duddy and, 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 and the, you know, restrictive and the, the negative end, like, but the actual biblical view of purity, that you're going to be, I went to Kentucky Christian University and we would have movie night in our dorm with the guys. And I can remember my freshman year, we watched these movies and some of the movies had some some stuff and some scenes. And, and every time that there was a sexual scene in a movie, this dude named Tom, I can remember, he's my brother's roommate and he spelled Tom, T-H-O-M. Who does that, right? So Thom, I called him Thom. This dude named Tom, every time there was a sexual scene in a movie, he would look, he would like just look away, not kind of like glance, but like obvious turn his head for the whole thing. There's a bunch of pastors watching movies with sexual scenes in them. One dude, like not every single time, one dude always would turn his head till the scene was over, right? And what do we do? Like, man, we like, man, we so respect you, man. We applaud you. Like, we, we, want, we look up to you. No, you know Tom got made fun of, right? In a, in, a, in a, so what, pastors? You know better than that. Like in a Christian environment, why? Because, well, we're not turning our heads, so that kind of puts something back on us. And why, you know, like, what's the big deal? You're not having sex with anybody. You're just watching a scene. Like, it'll be over in a second. Like, come on. Like, and we just, it was easy. Now, I think deep down there was some respect for him. The respect grew over the years. But in the moment, we just don't have a high view of purity. And maybe it's, maybe it's not that big a deal until we get to what we're basing our lives on, which is the word of God. Not many times in scripture are the words above all. <laughs> above all. I'm gonna tune into that verse, Proverbs 4, 23. Above all, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all, guard your heart. Adam and Eve had done that and it was beautiful and life was amazing and then they didn't. What if that was cool again? It's never gonna be cool in culture. What if at Relentless Church, purity was cool again? Right, not condemning people, not shaming people, none of that. But just what if in our marriages, in our media, in our walk, in our talk, and what we consume, what if protecting our hearts, guarding our hearts and purity was cool again? What if in your family it was cool to guard your mind in all kinds of ways? Let me go back to that yearbook pick, sorry. But if you zoom in here, this is the word, this is the verse I put for my senior yearbook, that the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I love that verse. Even as a young, ignorant dude, I loved the power of that verse. But what? And I'm probably because they, they limited us to words, right? We couldn't do this. I only put half the verse, and I don't really remember fully why, but I'm assuming they wouldn't let me put the whole paragraph. But that's beautiful, right? The world desires pass away. The man who does the will of God lives for, Like, come on. Let's preach that. But let me show you the whole verse. It begins with, do not love the world or anything in the world. 
if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, what are we talking about? The world, because it's, we did a Bible study one time. We said, don't love the world. They're like, what, we're not supposed to take care of the planet? We're not supposed to love people. No, it's not talking about the planet. We do take care of it. It's not talking about people. We do love people. For everything in the world defined here is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's a list right there. The lust in our bodies, the lust in what we see, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. The man who does the will of God lives forever. It's a much different feel with the first half. And I think I loved the second half, but I don't think I had a clue what the first half meant. I tried to live my life following and loving Jesus, but a very unhealthy love for the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And I tried for those things to coexist and to chase both depending on the day and the moment and the feeling. And it cost me so much time and so much pain. And I don't think it was till I was in my 30s that I really understood that this is a good verse, not a, not a uh, you know, an Amish verse, not, not a, you know, we can't, you know, wear jeans in church verse. I don't think I understood the purity and beauty of Philippians 4.8 that says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, because everything starts in the mind about such things, right? And I know this is way new to some of you. Be excited if that's you. If you're not really thinking or, or protecting or, or even guarding in any way what comes into you, and, and you may be like lust of the flesh, lust of the, lust of the eyes, pride of life, like that's pretty normal and easy for you. You want to see change in a hurry? Man, you start thinking about what is noble and true and pure and lovely and admirable and let God into the battle of your mind. You don't even need a week to see God is real. He will show up if you start submitting your mind to God. Now, now our friends, Adam and Eve, they didn't know any of this. They wouldn't do any of this. This was all, they just got tempted, doubted, were deceived and ate. Here's what happens next, verse eight. The man and his wife, they weren't named yet. Uh, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God, again, what's so powerful about Eden is it gets us a, a, a foretaste of heaven. It gets us a sense of what God really is about. Who is this God? What does he love? What does he want life to be like? What he wanted it to be like was not all these rules and commandments. There was only one. All right, and, and we talked about uh, some last week, somebody's like, hey, well, why would he even put the tree there, right? If you want that kind of conversation, that next level, like it's a beautiful question and there's, there's answers, um, that's what we're gonna discuss in the small group. So um, we're doing, if you didn't know, we're doing small groups in here. It starts this Tuesday. We'd love for you to sign up. You don't have to sign up, but we'd be happy uh, so we'd know who's coming. Um, we're gonna be in this room. We're gonna, you know, if there's 10 of us, we'll put two of us in, in five people circles. If there's 50 of us, then we'll do a bunch of circles. And we're just gonna, talk through this message, like not just, it's not gonna be me preaching, it's gonna be, hey, man, let's get to know some people, let's have a little fun, sure, but it's, it's gonna be some fellowship, but, but more than that, it's gonna be, hey, what does this look like for our life? We're gonna pray for each other. We're not gonna make anybody pray, but that starts this Tuesday night in this room. Uh, we would love for you to, to sign up. So we'll get to some of those, you know, questions, but what life was like was God, with one command, walking with his people, enjoying his people, 
And now they hear God coming and they hid. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Yo! That's my DMV. The other translation says, yo! Verse 10, God answered, or uh, Adam answered, he, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. We don't get timeline. We don't know how long God and Adam and Eve existed in this beauty and this purity and this relationship. They didn't even know they were naked, y'all. That's pure, right? We're not talking about the dream, right? The recurring dream where you're like, oh no, I'm naked. No, it's not that. It is, they had no, like they were just pure. They wanted to be with God. There was no fear. God's coming. There was excitement. God is, he's with us and he's always with us in the garden. He's coming around the court and they were interacting with him like we will one day interact with him again. But now for the first time, they hid. When this is a common experience, humans, you know this. Any age in the room, you know what it means to want to hide, right? We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, this crazy moment where Peter, who fished for a living, he wasn't, you know, um, just an average fisherman. We got some excellent fishermen in the house. I, I, my heart is, is full today um, with some things that, God, we've been praying for um, in our staff's life, um, Pastor Brickle coming out of surgery is in the house. Can we say what's up to Pastor Brickle right here all? If, if, you, if you give to our church financially, if you give to our church, most people give online. There's boxes in the back. We don't talk about that much in here. If you give to our church and you support several ministries in Raleigh that are doing great things, Pastor Brickle, Brickle is the leader of Lost Sheep Ministries who we support and partner with and do an amazing work. Um, and more than what he does, like he, is, he has been... Uh, a loving, loving brother to me. He's dear to my heart, so it does my heart good to see you in the place. God's doing so much beautiful things, and life can be so abundant, as Jesus said, but, but what gets in the way? It's, it's when we choose, when we're tempted, when we, and then there's a natural hiding. So the fisherman, I was talking about, Jesus comes and says, why don't you put your net over there and they're like, we've been fishing all night. Eventually they do it and they catch all these fish, remember? It should be, if it was a movie, they would just run and hug Jesus. You're the man. You like, we, we just caught, like, how did you do that? You're amazing. And it wasn't that. It was Peter getting on his knees and saying, away from me, depart from me. You got to, like, I can't be near you. Why? Because he logically knew if you know where the, that wasn't like a good fishing tactic. That was a miracle. You did something, like that's, on. if you know where the fish are, then you know everything there is to know about me. If you know everything there is to know about me, we got a problem. It's natural. And now for the first time, because they had disobeyed, they wanted to hide. You know what it's like to hide. That word guilt, hiding and guilt, which eventually can lead to shame. We got to talk about that word this morning because guilt is a tricky word, right? Because it's not always negative. Sometimes it's just true, right? Guilt or guilty. If I'm wrong and I feel guilty, sometimes I feel guilty because I am guilty, right? Guilty is a, is a legal term, innocent or guilty. Did you do it or not? If you did it, then you're not innocent. You're guilty. And if you're guilty, it is natural and okay to feel guilt. I feel like I did wrong. You know why? Because you did. That makes you guilty. But that scripturally, biblically with God should be a temporary feeling of conviction to lead you somewhere. 
not to stay there. You should feel guilty because you are, because you did wrong. And in that, it leads you to something we call repentance, to turn, right? And repentance is a scary word for some people. It's a beautiful word. Like we can't be a church if we don't understand repentance. It is required constantly and it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's transformative and it's life-changing. If you're like, man, I've been following Jesus a long time. I don't really do repentance. Then you're not following Jesus. Repenting is turning from our sin, not once, but, but through life. It's a good thing. Here's what repentance is not. Repentance is not getting caught doing something and then saying, oh, I'm sorry, because I got caught. That's not repentance. Repentance scripturally is this, broken like this regret, this deep, you've been, oh, why did I wish I could take it? I'm, I'm in, like deep, like I feel something. It's not, oh, I'm caught. I apologize, right? It's, it's deeper than that. You know what repentant people don't do? If you want to test, you, want, you might want to test people in your life, probably better to test your own heart. You want to know how, how you are in repentance? Here's what repentant people don't do. Blame. Right? They, they, don't, they don't try to steer the light towards somebody else's. E even if it wasn't 100% yours, right? If it was 80% yours, you don't try to make the conversation about the 20% that wasn't. Repentant people don't blame, but man, Adam and Eve, they were struggling. Here's, here's how they handled the conversation. God said, verse 11, he, he said, who told you you were naked? Right? They didn't even know because they were pure. Who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Like, what are you gonna do? If God told you not to, he knows all. What are you gonna do when he, when he you gonna lie? No, they didn't lie. Here's what our man Adam said. Men have been doing this ever since. The man said, verse 12, the woman, the woman. Yeah, God, the woman you put here with me. Like, you're kind of blaming God for his own. The woman you put here with me, if you hadn't put her with me, it probably wouldn't be here. But yeah, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And yes, I ate it. It's not repentant. When you lead with the woman, it doesn't matter that he said, I ate it at the end, right? Some of you are such a habit. You drive people nuts. You don't even see it. You need to record yourself trying to apologize, right? You're, you're failing. You get an F in the apology and God wants to change your heart, but you need to honestly record yourself and you say all this stuff and you say all these things and I was thinking this and I didn't know this and this wasn't my fault. And then at the end you say, but I ate it. And then you go and tell people, no, I apologized. You did apologize by definition, but you didn't repent. Because <laughs> repent looks like, God, I ate it. You said not to and I did. And I wish I could, I'm so, I, that's all. The woman, the Lord, he said, hey, it was, it was a woman. So the Lord God, verse 13, he said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it was that serpent, see? He deceived me, which is true. And I ate it. But both of them, it's our instinct and it's our human nature. And we're how many years later after Adam and Eve? It's crazy. Like this is one of the oldest documents. This is the first humans. And still, some of you have not got the pleasure of meeting. And I know when you're caught, there's something in you that just wants to blame somebody just like they did. That guilt that they felt, God uses it. He never wanted it because he never wanted us to disobey, but he uses it to prompt action that leads to repentance. It's not just sorry. Listen, repentance without change is not repentance. 
Repentance, you want to test repentance, it always comes with change. If I'm just sorry, then I'm going to repeat. Now, again, we struggle and it's a process, but repentance without change is not repentance. It's just yapping. It's just moving your lips and making yourself feel better. So that guilt God will use to prompt you to action, to partner with him, not to go change your life and I'm gonna do better on willpower, that's all about you. No, it's gonna prompt you to come closer to Jesus. I can't figure this out, I can't do this. I need help. And he'll change you and meet you wherever he's a God, a relentless God who never gives up on anybody. That's the story of our church, the story of the scripture. So guilt temporarily can be used by God to bring about the change and the partnership and the beautiful relationship and everything we just sang about. But hear me, never, never will God use your worst and use your disobedience and use how you messed up. Never will he use that to shame you. He never will take you from guilt. I feel convicted, I did wrong. He'll never, when you feel shame, guaranteed no, it's not from God. There's an enemy that worked there that's working today and he knows we're gonna blow it and he jumps in and he tempts and don't do this. Oh, it's worth it. God, did God really say? And then when we do, man, then he comes flooding in with the second attack, the second wave, which is the shame that he wants us to sit and live in. What's the difference between guilt and shame? Simply, we'll say it like this this morning. Guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is, I am something bad. Church. Now, I'm learning to get to know my church, get to know our church, get to know the nine o'clock and the 11 o'clock. When I say that at 11 o'clock, that guilt is I did something bad and shame is I am something bad. The 11 o'clock's gonna go, ooh -wee. That's what they're gonna do. That's all right. I'm not, I'm not favoring services. I'm just learning. Like you guys are more contemplative. You're obviously more you know, deep spiritually because you're here at 9 a.m., right? So it's just, we're just learning each other. But that's... I don't care if you, amen, mm-hmm, what? Like, that's life-changing. Those are, there's only a couple words different. Those are massively different. I did something bad is true. We live in a culture, even in church, that we don't think that's okay. Like, don't tell anybody they did something bad. You know, just lift them up, lift them up. How are you gonna lift somebody up by lying to them? Repentance can't happen if we don't own and acknowledge, man, I we, we do that. Let's not pretend like we don't. But it's so miles away from because I did something bad. That's who I am. That's my identity. It's part of me. That's shame. And I run into Christians in our church that just, they talk as if it's just their lot in life to carry shame. Like they've just resigned to it. They've just accepted it. Now, if you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, okay, then yeah, there's this really the, that's bad news. There's not a lot you can do with your shame, right? You can medicate it and deny it and, and try to run from it, but the reality is you can't get rid of it. That's the gospel, the incredible news of our rescue and adoption where we rescued from, sin, death, and shame. Jesus is the only remedy to our shame. So if you don't know him, if you're thinking about this decision we've been talking about to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, like that is part of what comes with it, this beautiful freedom from the worst of you, from guilt, from shame. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and you're in the room today and your heart is not just that you'll still battle because we all still battle, like we still kind of have memories and, 
and have to sing and remind and all these. But if you're one of those that would say, I follow Jesus, but honestly, I'm probably gonna carry this the rest of my life. I'm probably never gonna look in the mirror and not remember some level of this is what I did and this is maybe a little bit of who I am. And that's just like, that's just, and we, we kind of couch it as humble. Like, you know, I, I, I could, you know, I could never, like that's, that's just reality. Like I did that and that's part of my story. And okay, there's truth in that. But if you're saying that you're always gonna carry 1% of the shame before whatever you did, however long ago. If you're telling me I'm always gonna carry, there's never gonna be on this earth, but I'm not gonna carry a little bit of that shame. I'm telling you, you are in direct opposition to the gospel. You are thinking and living and carrying something that is the most offensive thing to Jesus. And we, we kind of sell it as, no, that's kind of cool, right? That's kind of, that sounds Christian. Like there's a, like I did it, I own it, and it's just, I gotta carry it. Like I shouldn't have done that, and I'm gonna carry this forever. I'm gonna carry this forever. I'm gonna carry this forever. If you're thinking that or saying that, you're in opposition to the cross because there's a real Jesus who does know your name and does love you, and he's looking at you, and he's speaking to your heart today. He's like, are you serious right now that I came, that God sent me, that I came into a human body, that I was whipped and mocked and took it all? I even went to God the night before and said, Father, take this away from me, as we just read Mark 14. We're in Mark 15 this week as a church. We've got two more chapters. If, if, if he came, and he, he, is there another way out of this? No, there's not another way. So he willingly, voluntarily went and died the worst death you can imagine and he did that so you wouldn't have to carry your shame and you're thinking it's some kind of duty or soldiering up or some kind of like you know if I, I this is part of my lot in life like you are in opposition to the Jesus that you follow he went to great lengths so that you could be clean and clear Right? And I've told you a hundred times, church, I used to be scared to, tr- to preach the, the depth of this truth because I was scared, especially when I was a youth pastor, I was scared teenagers would hear about clean and free and I, would, I was scared that they would go act a fool because they thought they had a license and the more you step into the gospel, the more you realize that's so far from the truth. The more you understand what Jesus has done for you and what it accomplished for, more, for you, the more you desire and are motivated to live tight and close with him instead of trying to obey out of fear like we talked about last week. We, uh, the series before this one was behind the curtain and it was all built on this verse in Hebrews. Most of the series was from Hebrews, this idea that in the Old Testament, there was a curtain that separated the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies and nobody could go in there and Hebrews taught us that Jesus went into the inner place as a forerunner on our behalf so that we can now come into the Holy of Holies, like you're invited into the presence of God, just mind-blowing truths. But there's so much we didn't get to, and I want to get back to Hebrews, which is talking. So if you were here for this series, some of this is going to make uh, more sense. But just hang with me for these verses in Hebrews 9. It's talking about the temple and all that they had to do. It says, these preparations... Having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, that's the the main part, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest goes. And he, uh, but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So this was our whole lead up to Easter to really understand the Lamb of God, the Passover, the sacrifice, and um, that's every day for us, not just Easter. Verse eight, by this by this sacrifice, the Holy Spirit indicates 
that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. That's all temple, old covenant stuff, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, listen, the old way, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and washing his regulations by, what? He's comparing and contrasting the old way and the new way. If you remember that series, we're under the new covenant. For the difference between the implication, the old covenant and the new covenant is the old covenant. You had to do all this stuff, but what the old covenant was unable to do was perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Who's the worshiper? That's you or we. That's even a better answer. That's us. We're the worshipers. What sacrifices and religion and regulations and washings could not do was something that Jesus did do according to this do. What, what did he do? He perfected the conscience of the Christian. Some of you haven't, like, this is the biggest day of your life. Some of you have been following Jesus for decades and you didn't know that your conscience got perfected. It's still true even if you didn't know it. You just haven't been living in the freedom. I have a clean, clear, beautiful, perfect conscience. And this feels so even weird to, to preach because I know some of you, my wife and, and son are here, my other son, like what, some of you, some of you know, dude, your conscience ain't perfect. If it is, you got dementia or amnesia or something. Like, you, like if you know me, how in the world? Because Jesus, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a holiday. It's not a church. It's life. He came and he showed up and what he did and accomplished cleaned and cleared and perfected my conscience. There are consequences to sin, mine and yours. Yes. But in my conscience, I am immune in my soul to shame. Because of Jesus, he perfected. Man, that's good news. Even though, even though my behavioral resume is not clean, my conscience is. Now that gets into the whole other, like, well, I'm gonna, you know, people that would hear that and not understand and say, God cannot be mocked. If you hear that, like, well, I'm gonna go do what I want. I'm gonna go send it up and my conscience is clean, right? You got it all twisted. God will not be mocked. The reality is my conscience is clean because Jesus did that for me. Oh, that motivates me not to go license anything. No, that just motivates me to worship and to love and to serve and encourage and use this short, forever focused as who we are, short little life as a gospel-centered, forever focused multi-ethnic movement that we are. We got to witness on Easter some beautiful, we, we just never had figured out how to do baptisms in the service. If you were here, you got to witness that. Peter is, you know, this Peter that I spoke about earlier, later, you know, the Holy Spirit moved in him to write a book that became scripture and his letter known as First Peter, he's talking about Noah way back in the ark and, and how water and saved this, you know, this boat and these people. And then he transitions from Old Testament to, to present day, first century. And he says in 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Let's stop right there. 
Right, baptism is not, when we baptize these four folks, some of you, many of you in this room, I'm going to be a part, see, witness, or even do your baptism. Right, it wasn't, you didn't come out there cleaner than you went in. Right, if you've seen our baptismal, like, definitely you didn't come out. It's like we, we do the best we can, but it's, it's water. And that's all we can say about that. Right, and the, at the movie theater back, we did it behind there, and it would be, you know, leaves and stuff from the trees and the water. It's not, it's not, it's not holy water as some might call it. It's not. It's not the removal of dirt. It's not anything about that. It's an inward cleansing. And the result as part of the decision, and some of you are on the fence, you believe in God for a long time, you've never surrendered your life to him. And we're praying for you because the deception and the spiritual battle is real. You were created to make a decision to follow Jesus. And some of you, oh, you're right on the edge. And should I or shouldn't I? Should I send an email? Should I talk to somebody? Should I you know, pull on your staff? Should I say, hey, I think I want to talk? Oh, you're so close to making the best. When you make that decision, it's not to Removal of dirt. You don't come out there cleaner physically. What happens is as Jesus was on the cross, buried in the grave, fully rose, changed everything. You surrender your life. You die a, you know, a, a visual, illustrative death, and you come up as a new creation. And in that, it's an appeal to God. It saves you. Baptism is an appeal for a good, clear, clean, all that's packed in there conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven at the right hand. Let's, let's, how could I have a clean conscience? How can we not hide and be guilty and have our guilt lead to shame and sit in the shame? How can I have a conscience that's clear? I need to have a really good week. That's what I believed back in my day. When that picture, man, my conscience was clear because I had a good week or I had a good weekend and I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And now I can feel good and have a good. This teaches, scripture teaches that he perfected the conscience of the worshiper, that my pledge, I have a clean, clear, good conscience conscience before God, regardless of what happened last night. What? How? Because it's not through my behavior that my conscience is clean. It's through the resurrection of Jesus. We're so up and down because we're so up and down. And when we're up and down, our conscience kind of follows how we're doing. And here's the beautiful truth. The resurrection of Jesus is true every day. His mercies are new every morning. So if his mercies are new and he's still resurrected, then my conscience can be clean and clear every day. And if my conscience is clean and clear every day and I understand that, then my victory will change and follow. You will live in that freedom. The sin that's so deceptive and attractive will look a little different. You know, baptism can be so confusing because we come from all kinds of places, backgrounds, denominations, not church, all that. So uh, sometimes people will ask, they'll come to us as a staff and, hey, can we baptize my baby? Right, and, and we just come from a scriptural place of, you know, you don't see that in scripture. What you see is, now how old is too? Like we let parents, we have that conversation, we pray through that, but, but it's a decision of surrender and babies don't know surrender. Right? It's a decision that is yours. It's not for grandma. It's not so you can take communion. It's not so you can be a member of, of, of this organization or whatever. It's between you and God. It's a decision. Now, again, it's interconnected. Even in baptism, God and his brilliance. You can't baptize yourself. I mean, I guess you could. That'd be awkward. 
Like we, we even need each other to baptize, but it is a personal commitment, surrender decision. But the idea of baby baptism, right? There's some good in that. So we do um, not baptize, but we do dedicate, right? And we mentioned this a few weeks ago from stage. Um, and I, I think we're just in a season in life as a church, as people, where we, we, you know, we just aren't very planned out, right? It's like, used to be like, hey, mark this day on your calendar. It's six weeks out. And, and a lot of you that I'm talking to, you're like, man, I'm trying to get six hours, right? So I want to remind you, because it's your last shot. This is no guilt. Like, we don't want to pressure anybody, but baby dedication is next Sunday, right? And if you want to dedicate a child, baby, um, then you got to sign up today. Deadline, right? That's got to happen today because it's gonna, we're going to do it in the service. We're going to do it as a church. If you don't have a kid, uh, like you're a part of this, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. We're going to do it next Sunday. And, and what we're doing is we're not saving the kid. We'll wait for the, we'll pray for the kid to make a decision to follow Jesus. What this is, is a commitment on the part of the parents or parent to raise their child in the Lord. They're dedicating their parenting to the Lord, right? And, and hopefully part of the result of that, will that child one day making a decision, but they have to make that decision for themselves. So sign up today if you're in on that. I just want to come back to this conscience issue. Um, you got some stuff to do, church, from here. You got small groups. Again, next three Tuesdays, simple, easy in this room. We never try to make it really simple. If you want to get to know some people, want to talk through what this means for your life, it'd be great for you to do that. If you can't make it one of the Tuesdays, sign up anyway. You don't have to be here all three, and then we're going to do something fun. The fourth Tuesday, we'll be talking about that. But man, before we get to small groups, before you worry about dedicating a baby, deadline's today. Man, where's your conscience? Is it clean and, and clear? The only path to that is Jesus. I know God's working in our church. I know from the last week, I know this series is massively important to the rest of your life. I know the power of the enemy if you don't know this stuff, if you don't know the, where the power is, if you, if you don't understand the deception of when we have that feeling, I think I'm missing out if I don't get to do this or if I don't whatever, whatever, whatever. The, the power, like we're unveiling some stuff and he's not happy about that. If you understand, you have victory. If your conscience can be cleaned through Jesus, that's gonna free you up. As some of you for the first week of your life will walk through it without the shame of your sin on your back. Oh, you talk about freedom. There's a lot at stake in the conversation we're having. And honestly, church, sometimes I get frustrated with myself because I have a, I have a warped view sometimes of walking with Jesus, even though I believe it and preach it and talked about it. But I, you know, when, when you're sick or you have awful pain, right? For me, it was when I had tooth issues a couple years ago. Some of you were here for that. I was, a, I was an angry person. Um, just tooth that ended up having to take out. It was just never had pain that I couldn't get rid of like that. So it was, uh, you know, ibuprofen and acetaminophen and you stagger them, you stack them, and you just try to get sleep. You know, some of you had pain way worse than tooth pain, you know. And then one day you get to a place where you don't need the med. And it's so wonderful, like, hey, I haven't taken anything for like eight hours and I'm okay. I'm getting there, right? Somehow in my warpness and my humanity and my flawed sinfulness, me with Jesus, like 
I want to graduate to the place where I'm not so dependent, like I'm not so weak, like I'm not constantly running, right? Like, yes, there's times and crisis and stuff, and you got to run to Jesus, and he's your medicine, and he's all that, and that's great. But man, I, I want to be able to go a week and be okay. Like, I want to be a good enough man where if I don't have time with Jesus in the morning, I'm okay. And the reality, I keep finding out, when I try to live seven days, not doing awful stuff, just on my, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm not anti-God. I'm just, you know, not really spending real time with him. Like, it crushes me. And I just want to graduate to, like, I'm still with you, Jesus, but I should be able to go seven days and be mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically okay. Right? Wrong. It is building my faith. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is actually real. And that my life, just today, May 1st, it's May, just today, my life will be drastically different. It's not all about getting your nose in the word. It's a big part of it. But if I just kind of zone out and veg out and just, I preach today, so I'm done, you know, and I just kind of get through the day and like, it's going to be drastically different because Jesus is real and this whole thing and fear of missing out and recognizing the enemy and deception and sin, it only works if you're connected to Jesus. He will show up and it is okay that there's never going to be a day in my life where I don't need him. I'm okay with that. I think maybe for the first time, I'm embracing that. It just means that Jesus is real and I'm not designed, right? It's not coach player. I used to think it's coach player. Jesus is my coach. I'm gonna go get with him in the huddle. I'm gonna go play. And he's gonna be like, yeah, good play, Jones. Right, the freedom that comes from, I'll never take the court without him. I can't play without him. I just wanna stay connected. What the scripture would call abide in him. That's our next step. We would love for you to sign up for small group. We'd love for you to dedicate your child if you want to do that. All of that is nothing compared to deciding to partner. This week, let's go do this, church. Let's go walk. Teammate Jesus in us with a clear, clean conscience that Jesus bought for us. I'm going to pray that matters in your Sunday, but I'm gonna pray that matters in your Tuesday and your Friday night and the week that is ahead. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna pray that over you and we'll call it a service. Father, that's a phrase. I don't know if I ever noticed it in my life until recently that, that what the old way could not accomplish is what Jesus did to perfect the conscience of the worshiper. God, there are so many moments where my conscience feels so far from perfect, but that you didn't wanna just save me, just not rescue, but that you wanted to adopt us into your family and in that make us yours and belong to you. And, and in that, that you wanted to clean and clear our conscience so we don't have to carry what Adam and Eve carried, that we don't have to hide from you. God, thank you. There's nothing we can do that removes us from the possibility of knowing you and being known by you, that, that you didn't make us to hide, that you sent Jesus so we could walk to you and not run away. God, help us enjoy, even today, even at lunch, help us enjoy the freedom and the cleanliness that you've given us. God, for those in the room that may not 
know where they stand, who may not have ever surrendered to you, I pray you would give them courage to make a step to respond to what Jesus has done for them. And God, I pray you would just help us fight. We, can, we will lose a thousand. We will be beat up in a week. We'll fall apart if we try to fight on our own. Would you show us and teach us how to fight through your spirit, connected to you, never leaving your side today and this week until we can come together again. We pray and go now in Jesus' name, amen.